The conversation around coronavirus, uh, COVID-19, as we're discussing this, I, I feel like this is a nexus of both medical expertise and public policy expertise. And I wanted to bring in someone who can speak to both halves of that conversation, which is why I'm so glad to be joined here at the table by Dr. Marcus Plesha, who's the chief medical officer, the Association of State and Territorial Health Officials. Dr. Plesha, thanks for spending some time with me this morning. Thanks for having me. Let's talk about this from a medical side, but also your your background and your experience with public policies. What are some of the public policy decisions, and I'm thinking blunders, but decisions that have brought us to this moment and potentially worsened the medical side reality that we're facing at this moment with this crisis? Well, you know, we, we are in a crisis right now. And, um, you know, first of all, let me say that this is this is not something, you know, we, we did, we have known that something like this could happen. And we have tried to prepare for that in some ways. And, and I think some of that preparation has been good. And I also like to point out that we do have, you know, some of the best people in the world dealing with this situation. And, and that's a real asset for us as well. All of that said, you know, this is the first time we've really dealt with anything of this size and complexity, and it's not going to be seamless. So, you know, yes, we are going to blunder. We're going to make some mistakes. I mean, the thing that everybody's talking about right now is is the issues around inadequate numbers of tests. But, you know, my feeling is we just have to keep moving forward. I mean, we, we are capable of taking this on. We're going to stumble a little bit on some things that we just need to get up and brush off and keep going. Um, you know, the, the biggest problem we've had is with testing. I, I'm really not sure where that went awry, but we've got a lot of problems in front of us right now. I mean, the, the public policy issue right now that I'm the most concerned about is the issue around uh, paid sick leave. You know, if you work for a, if you're fortunate enough to work for a company with good benefits, where if you get sick, you can take time off and you don't have to worry about the economic ramifications of that, that's great. But so many people live hand to mouth on their paycheck to paycheck. And, you know, asking them to stay home if they're sick is, is, is a big issue for them. And that, that's a problem we can solve. That's a public policy problem we can solve. And, and we're talking about it, but we need to push that through. We need, we need to make it as easy as possible for people to stay home when they're sick. That's, that is kind of the core piece of containing this. Can you discuss why it's so we've we've seen a lot of discussions about flattening the curve. We've seen discussions about why it's important. But for many people, if they themselves are not sick or if they're not in a vulnerable population for their own estimation, they may not believe that this is about them. But for so many people, they might be missing the larger point that it's not necessarily about their transmission vulnerability. It's about herd immunity. It's about where they're uh, passing on pathogens. Can you talk about why it's important before we get to the public policy side, just why from a medical perspective, it's important that people stay home, limit events and, and outings as much as possible? Yeah. I mean, the big concern here is that people who are older than 60 and people who have underlying serious medical conditions can and will die because of this epidemic. And the thing to to keep that from happening or limiting it is everybody doing their part and being responsible. And if you're sick and you go out, if you're sick and you know, you're not that sick, but if you go out and you 
cause an infection in, in, in one of these groups of people who are much more at risk, you know, that could, that could result in that person dying. And that could be a person that you know and care about, or that could be a random person. But people need to realize that this is one of these situations where we're all going to have to take responsibility. We're all going to have to pitch in for the greater good. Well, we're all random people to somebody. Let's talk <laughs> yeah. about testing, though. You, you say you don't know exactly why, but what do we know about why the United States is lagging behind other developed countries? I'm thinking about the logistical holdups at this point. Why are some places, for example, with single payer healthcare doing better than others in testing populations at this point? I, I mean, th- there was a, first of all, you know, I, I think one of the things is that, you know, we have a real strong attention to quality and, and you know, making sure that when we have tests, they're high quality tests and they're accurate and the information we get from them is, act, is information we can trust. And, you know, not to be disdainful or, or negative about other societies, but, you know, I, I just, you know, I don't know sort of how that plays out in other places. But, you know, the idea is we wanted to get a test out there and that test needed to be right. And so it, it, when, it, when we first started distributing tests out to states from CDC, there was a problem. There was a quality issue and they got pulled back. Um, and, you know, we've been playing catch up ever since. Uh, also, you know, there was a reluctance to just, not even if it was a reluctance. We, you know, we have a system that, a private, a private company cannot put something like a test out into the market without it going through all kinds of quality assurance tests and having approval of the, Fed, the Food and Drug Administration. And, you know, in the end, we've decided to pull that back because we've got to get these tests out there. And, and we believe that our biotech companies are very good and they'll get very good tests out there. But, you know, ultimately, some of the underlying reasoning behind this is that we're, we're really focused on quality. We're like really focused on making sure that the kind of diagnostic things that we put out are, are, have a very high standard. So, you know, I think that may have been a little bit what was going on. I mean, I will say again, though, we just, we have to move on and testing is very, very important in our response to this epidemic, but it's not the only important thing. And at some point, testing won't be that important. It'll really be a shift to how do we handle the fact that a lot of people are sick and how do we try to contain that? Well, that's that's what I've been seeing. That's what I've been seeing now as the conversation shifts is moving. And as, as you say, moving forward, trying to understand, OK, we're going to need hospital beds. We're going to need ventilators. We're going to need this. And these are all finite resources. And because we have a for profit medical system in this country, we're not necessarily equipped to have surged capacity for these moments. Other places where they have a higher number of beds per thousand uh, you know, people may have a better set, set uh, of, of response options available. Is that a problem that you see? Again, trying to move forward, well, what, are the, what are the hurdles that you see as we move away from testing uh, for the American public? Well, you know, the, the, one of the things that everybody's concerned about is the ability to, for our, med- our medical system to handle a surge in, uh, you know, serious cases, people who need serious medical care. Um, you know, it, it's not going to be business as usual if, if it gets really bad. I, I mean, hospitals and medical professions are going to have to kind of make decisions about how to do things in different ways. Uh, you know, we, we may get to a place where rather than, you know, everybody having their own bed in their own room, we're, we're grouping people up depending on their risk factors and how infectious they are. We may, you know, worst case scenarios, we might have to have open medical wards where lots of people are in a big room with beds together. But 
you know, that that's not to say we can't handle it if it goes to that. It's just a different way of doing things. And, you know, we 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 have known something like this could come and every hospital has, you know, has plans in place of what what would we do if this happened? Um you know, these are also things that, uh, you know, groups like the military where, you know, the the possibility of mass casualties is is a real possibility and, and they know how to handle things like that as well. So we, we've got we've got the protocols and the ability to do it. It's just going to be very different and that's going to be a little scary for people. And uh, I don't want to. <laughs> You know, I don't want to undermine the seriousness of this and, and that it could get quite bad. But, you know, we also we, we have some pretty significant ability to response. We are a very um, ingenious people. And I think that's what we'll use to get through the, the medical supply issues that might confront us. But you sound pretty sanguine. And I want people I mean, you're talking about things that are, are relatively extreme, but you you sound pretty positive, upbeat, pretty sanguine about this. And so I think about for someone hearing this conversation and thinking, you know, uh, I'm getting, uh, you know, is this uh, out of a desire not to panic? Is this because of information that you're seeing? Again, as as the chief medical officer for your association, state and territorial health officials, is this something that's shared by colleagues who are dealing with these problems in affected areas? What What is it that brings this level of calm that you're experiencing that you're, that I, I think is palpable to me uh, when you're talking about but, you know, a, a change of life. I mean, for example, you know, we didn't have canceled sports. We didn't have quarantines. We didn't have I mean, this is this is new, as you're saying, but you're saying it uh, and 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 it, 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 as if it's not a big deal. Well, I don't mean to make it sound like it's not a big deal. And, you know, I don't know that we have as a society and as a nation we've ever faced or, or it's been a long time since we faced this level of adversity and potential adversity. I mean, there's two things that I would say. First of all, you know, I, I probably should have said at the beginning of the interview, I'm, I'm kind of a positive person. I mean, I try to look on the positive side and <laughs> how dare you <laughs> maintain some optimism. Um, and so, but people should realize that when they hear me that, you know, that, that I'm coming from that. And uh, there are some of my colleagues who aren't feeling very po- positive or optimistic about this at all. But the other thing is, you know, we really do need to stay calm. Um, you know, if, if everybody starts getting anxious and starts panicking, then we're, that's going to undermine our ability to respond. And any any medical or public health professional that you talk to is is going to point to some things about this epidemic that are you know more reassuring. I mean, yes, it, it can be deadly, but luckily it's not as deadly as some other things that we've seen and dealt with. It does spread, but you know even that, luckily, it doesn't spread as as much as some other things. And and we have quite a bit of knowledge about how it spreads and how we can keep that from happening. So. We've got some things we can bank on. And, and then, you know, I do need to remind people because I see these comparisons to how other countries were, are, are handling this. I mean, we, you know, we are a very technologically savvy, ingenious society, and that's what's going to get us through this. And we need to, you know, we need to keep that in mind. It's, this is going to be hard. It's going to be very hard for people. And there's going to be a lot of suffering and there's going to be a lot of people, you know, Hopefully, you know, hopefully not as many as, as it could be, but there's going to be a lot of people who will die because of this epidemic. But, you know, we, we have to stay focused and we have to pitch in together and we have to get through it. And the thing we need to not do is turn against each other because then we're going to be 
decimated by this. Washington State's Department of Health has floated some additional restrictions, like keeping people in their homes except to keep food or obtain medical treatment, mandating business closures. You know, obviously, their locus of disease, the expectation that it will spike there soon is accelerating some of this response. Fundamentally, though, are these good policy ideas? Are these uh, suggestions that other people should take as best practices? What you're seeing in Washington state is similar to what was done in Wuhan. Uh, It's similar to what we're seeing playing out in Italy. I mean, these are the kind of containment measures that we're putting into effect. And, you know, this is an infectious disease that people pass from person to person. It's, you know, that's how that's how it's it's passed. That, that's that's how it's infectious. So if you keep people away from each other, you'll you'll slow down the the infection and you'll slow down the epidemic. So it, it makes sense. And these kinds of approaches have been effective in a lot of other instances. And they appear to have been effective uh, in Asia, where they've been doing this for a little bit longer. You know, when this is all over, we're going to have to look back and figure out, well, what worked and what didn't, and we'll have a lot better sense. But, uh, you know, I think these are the right responses. These are prudent. They make a lot of sense. And and this is the way that we get this under control. Because you work with these, again, Association of State and Territorial Health Officials, I think about there has been... um, an absence, and this isn't a, a political assessment, I think this is a, just an objective assessment, there's been an absence of clear and consistent federal leadership. How are states and territories leading on their response to this uh, this pandemic when the federal government has been inconsistent? Well, you know, what I, what I'm, the, the main part of the response that I'm seeing from the federal government comes from the Centers for Disease Control. I think that the Centers for Disease Control has been pretty timely about getting guidance, you know, guidance based on the opinion and findings of medical and scientific experts, getting that guidance out to states. And then for the most part, the states help push that guidance out to the local level. I think that guidance has been good. But I think people need to realize that, you know, we're not going to oversee the response to this epidemic from Washington, D.C. and Atlanta, Georgia, where it's, we're going to, the response is going to have to be a lot more local. So, you know, you put the guidance out there, you give some people some, uh, you you give your professionals some sense of how to react to different things, but ultimately they're going to have to decide in their own states and old communities what they put into effect, when they put it into effect, how they put it into effect, because it's going to vary from place to place. So this is now, it makes sense to me that this is becoming more of a state and local response. I think that's the way that we have to come at this. Let me, and I, and I perceive a little bit of reticence on your part to talk about the political side of this, and I'm not trying to place you somewhere where you're uncomfortable. Again, as a medical professional with public policy experience, I'm, I'm just trying to talk about the the reality on the ground here. There's been an attempt by the president, by Trump and many Republicans, to draw a political comparison with the Obama and Biden response to H1N1. I'm not asking you to offer a political assessment. I'm just saying from a medical perspective and a public policy perspective, is this a fair or an apt comparison? Because again, I think I I don't remember being quarantined. I don't remember uh, all the sports being canceled back then, but maybe you have some, uh, some analogs that are clearer when you think about the way these were handled. Well, you know, with the H1M1 response, we were expecting the worst and hoping for the best. And in the end, the hoping for the best 
played out okay for us. H1N1 was not as dramatic as, as we feared it might be, just sort of the nature of the infection. Also with H1N1, you know, that was a, an influenza um, virus, and it was one that we were able to get a vaccine into place for because we're good at making vaccines for influenza. So it's a very, very different scenario. And yeah, frankly, I, I don't know that you know, pointing the finger right, you know, what, what we need right now from the federal government is leadership. And we need, that's the voice that everybody needs to hear, giving people hope, you know, t- telling people to stick together and that we will get through this and, you know, taking this seriously. And they need to, you know, that we have, we have the most partisan government right now that I've ever experienced in my life. And they need to find a way to come together on this because that's what they need to do for us as our leaders. Well, you mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, your desire to see paid sick leave and how that would would really move the needle on this in a significant way. That has been a sticking point for Republicans in Congress. Is there a way to get forward on this, as you say, to move forward? Because for many elected officials on the Republican side of the aisle, paid sick leave is a non-starter. And you say it's one of the most important things that they need to consider. Yeah, and I'll stand by that. It's one of the most important things they need to consider. I mean, you know, we need people to comply with the recommendations we're making. We need people to stay home when we tell them or ask them to stay home. We're going to get to a point where we can't enforce that. There'll be too many people out there who are sick. So we're going to rely on people doing the right thing. And we have to make it easy for people to do the right thing. And I think that's a really, really important public policy issue that, that they need to they need to come to grips with and come to some solution for. I'm thinking about one event in particular. We've seen cancellations of everything from E3 to NBA to, you know, uh, political rallies, et cetera. I'm thinking about one one event coming up in a few months that it would be very difficult to cancel, the election. Now, if the election were happening in a month, I almost imagine it would be easier to plan how to recommend states and local governments prepare. But we're planning out several months in advance. We want to make sure that people can come and gather in places and cast ballots unless we change and a bunch of extra states allow, you know, vote by mail or something in the near future. uh, This is going to be a difficult thing. How do we make sure that we are a functioning democracy in a few months when or or is that not from a from a medical side? Are you are you shaking your head on the other side of this conversation thinking that's not my biggest concern right now? Well, it's a very important part of our democracy. So it, 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 it is important. You know, I think we're going to have to find a solution for that. I do think that there are solutions. Um, you know, I'm not sure as a medical professional, you know, as a medical public health professional, I guess I'll say that in thinking about how to go about holding an election, we need to think about this concept of social distancing and figure out ways that we can do it where we where we implement social distancing. And I think there's ways to do that. I mean, you know, we don't want to have long lines of people standing next to each other waiting to vote um, because, you know, that's <laughs> that's not social distancing. You've got people in close contact with each other. But, I, you know, there, there's ways around that. And again, you know, I'll, I'll return to my somewhat optimistic stance that, you know, we're, we're a successful and ingenious society and we need to figure this one out and we've got a little bit of time to do it. Um, so, uh, you know, I think there's a solution, but I think we do need to be very cognizant of the the medical and public health risks, and we need to we need to come up with a solution that takes that into account. I'm working from home right now, doctor, and I, I've got a, a six week old son. I, I'm very cognizant of some of the the moments that we're experiencing here. I'm thinking about some friends of mine, uh, a teacher who just found out that her husband is working from home. She's working from home and her son is uh, home from school. I'm thinking about 
the the health and mental health as people start to be at home uh, aside from you know uh, you know maybe a, a reduction in price on streaming subscriptions or something mm-hmm. what are some precautions that people can take for their health for their mental health for the duration of this crisis because uh, this is going to be as you've said a, a significant change in our regular uh, lives and business as usual won't won't work so you know how, how do we make it work what, what are some should we be cleaning things a little bit more different uh, in different ways or, or should we you know try to uh, listen to each other I don't know what 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 can we do to prevent I'm on day, you know, five of this, and already I'm ready to to snap a little bit. So maybe I'm not the, uh, you know, I'm a little more anxious than the average person. But maybe you can help. Uh, again, again, you seem pretty sanguine about this, so I'm hoping that you can provide some calming, some uh, a balm for this political moment. Well, you know, it's 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 going to be tough for people to stay at home. Um, <laughs> I can't, you know, and, and I have to say, and I'm kidding a little bit, but when they started, when when we had started having to cancel sports events, I thought, boy, that's going to make it a lot tougher for a lot of people. A lot of people probably looking forward to staying home and watching sports, but that's not going to be an option anymore. So, you know, we're going to have to find things to, to, you know, hold our attention. And, you know, if you sit around at home with nothing to do, you're going to get anxious, um, no no matter how um, calm you are. So you have to find things to do to occupy your mind and occupy, um, you know, the minds of the other people of your family who's there with you. And that's something to maybe start thinking about now, uh, you know, as we're moving to this stage where we may be doing more and more of that. I mean, do you have things in your home um, that can help you do that? Uh, You know, if you like to read, do you have books or have you downloaded material? Um, You know, uh, as long as we've got our televisions and our broadcasting ability, I think that'll really help people a lot. But, you know, I mean, what if that gets curtailed some more? You just, you know, have some backup plans of some other things that you can do. This is where me being a nerd my whole life and being a video game nerd and a Dungeons and Dragons nerd, I'm starting to realize this is my moment to shine where I'm going to be the only, you know, <laughs> in the land of the blind, I'm going to be king. You know, it's going to, it's going to be just fine for me. I'm just, I'm worried about some people who might not be aware about esports. You know, that's, that's the concern that I have. I guess looking ahead, you seem to you seem to be very clearly focused on the other side of this tunnel, and I'm grateful for that because I think one of the things that I try to emphasize on this conversation at the table is that we need to focus on hope. And as much as I've been trying to push back on some of the points that you've been making, I've also I, I want to emphasize that the reason we're having this conversation is because I think that it is important to hear a medical professional say that we need to move forward. But I, I want to think about a public policy lens. What are some of the lessons or public policy prescriptions that you hope outlast this pandemic? Things that we keep with us, as it were. Something that you can imagine us in the future saying, you know, uh, social distancing was not that bad. Or we need to, these are things that we can do, uh, you know, online regularly. Or paid sick leave that's not just targeted at this pandemic, but something that's baked into this, the healthcare system in a more meaningful way. Are any of these kind of good best practices that whatever, whatever society we're scraping up from the rubble at the end of this, uh, you hope that we include as, as, as lessons to, to move forward, as you say? Yeah. I mean, you know, there are going to be some, some lessons about, you know, 
what we invest in and what we're prepared for. And I don't mean that critically. I mean, you know, we have we have made some investments in preparing for the possibility of a pandemic. But, you know, I, I think it's hard to do that when you've not ever had a pandemic. Uh, you know, now that we have had one, I, I think, you know, I think we'll have a lot better sense of the kinds of things that we need to invest in that we have in place. And we'll also have a lot more societal will to do it because it's no longer this abstract, scary thing that you wonder if it's really true or not. I mean, we'll, we'll all have seen it. We know it can happen. We know it can happen again. So, you know, I, I think we, we will invest a little bit better in, in some of the kinds of things that we need. And we'll know a little bit better. I mean, this, this whole concern about the medical surge capacity of our national, of our medical care system. I mean, we're going to know, we're going to have a little bit of a test of that medical surge capacity and we'll know in the future. I mean, do we need to have a higher ratio of available beds to the population than we have right now? Um, you know, we may or we may not, but we'll, we'll have a better answer to that and we can invest in those kinds of things. Um, so, so we'll learn from that. Um, you know, I don't know what we'll learn from the, the sort of quarantines and having to stay at home. But I'll return to your to your earlier question for just a minute. I mean, one of the things that we have in our favor is social media. I mean, we we can now really communicate and stay in contact with people without having to be face to face with them, and that's going to help us get through this. And that's something we may need to think about more in the future: how we really use that to, you know, keep the fabric of our society strong. Well, I also know that, unfortunately, and, and again, I'm not going to point too many fingers, but it's also a great tool for disinformation, and that's been one of the difficulties that we've been facing in this crisis. And again, not pointing any particular fingers, but one one president in mind that I can think of who's certainly been using it in a, in a way that has not been helpful. I, I do want to thank you, though, for, for some co- context here and, and for the time that you've given today. Dr. Marcus Plesha, who's the Chief Medical Officer of the Association State and Territorial Health officials. Thank you for spending some time at the table and for, for giving us a little bit of, uh, of, of sunlight that's peer, peering through the other end of this tunnel. Thank you for having me. I really, uh, I really appreciate it.